I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Sorry, this is still ringing, guys. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Father, I pray right now for the preaching of this word. I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is accurate. Your word is vibrant. Your word cuts between the heart and the soul. Your word is perfect. Your word is infallible. Your word feeds us, nourishes us, washes us, cleanses us. And I pray right now, Lord, as I preach this word, that every single one of us would be transformed. Every single one of us would know more and more of Jesus in our lives. Every single one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would be transformed from the inside out. And God, I simply pray that you would seal these things in us. For these dear people here, these friends, you'd seal these things in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are visiting, this is the third preach that I'm doing out of John chapter 15. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been here for the last two weeks, please to go online. On our webpage, we have our messages uploaded on iTunes. And you can simply click on that and hear the messages. Not because I'm trying to promote my own preaching, but simply to say this to you that it's one of four messages. And if you've missed two, you have missed a whole lot of stuff that I've already said. And I, I want to just make the context clear of what I'm saying. We're talking about abundant fruitfulness in our lives. And in the last two weeks, I've said a number of things. We talked about in the first week that God prunes us. Uh, uh, let me just read what I've written here. We discovered God prunes us to deal with issues of ourselves. We, talk, we talked about that last week. We talked about how God pr uh, prunes our priorities, the things that we value, the things that we get our significance from. We talked the week before that, that God uses His discipline in our lives to deal with issues of sin. And when we are confronted with issues of sin in our lives, God uses His discipline in our lives and deals with those things. Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at those things. And both of these processes in our lives involve some pain. And that's why it's often difficult to tell them apart because they both involve pain. But all of this is because God wants us to be abundantly fruitful and to count our lives to count in a radical and a meaningful way, not just for now, but for eternity. That's why God is busy at work in our lives. I was just thinking of Paul. And he was a man who was familiar with the process of pruning in his life. Paul, go with me please to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, not from the NIV. 
Philippians chapter 3, we can look at verse 5 and 6. Paul knew about the pruning hand of God in his life. He was familiar with it. He did not fight it. He embraced it. And here we read in Philippians chapter 3, he says this of himself, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is Paul, just letting us know the pedigree that he has in terms of his life as a Jew. He says, I have reason to boast in these things, and I am blameless under the law. I've been zealous for God. This is my life. Take a good look at my life. But it's interesting to see that by the end of his life, and this letter, Philippians, is one of the last letters that he wrote from jail, okay? By the end of his life, God has pruned away everything till there's very little of his self-life left. Why do I say that? Because if we read a little bit further, we'll see that those things that were his identity, those things that made him who he was, had been pruned away. His position in society, his heritage, his sense of pride, his religion even, all of those things had been removed. And we read in verse 7 and 8. Remember, this is a letter written at the end of his life from jail. And he says, Whatever gain I had, all those things that he just described, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. How many times has He used that phrase? All things. I have lost all things for His sake and counted them as rubbish. My friends, this is strong language. My heritage, where I come from, my education, my power to make money, my sense of position in society, all of these things, I count them as rubbish. Am I too loud? Rubbish. In order that I might gain who? Gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from what? From the law. And He was perfect under the law. He says, I don't count any of that. My righteousness does not come from the law, but it comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, which depends on faith. Amen. At the end of his life, he has zeroed down everything. He didn't need to order his priorities any, lo any longer because he says, forgetting what is one thing I do, he says. At the end of his life, he says, one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call, the upward call. All of us have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh man, doesn't that inspire you just reading that passage? That's what he says. He says, that's, I've left all those things behind and I press on what I press on to. I press on to become more and more like Jesus. There's an upward call for eternity in my life that I'm pushing on towards straining with all that I have to achieve what God has for me. You see, that's pruning. <laughs> that's pruning. He's a man who's allowed himself to be pruned till everything has been whittled away and one thing remains in him, a focus on Jesus. So God, God requires, He asks us, He invites us, He says He invites us to surrender everything that we hold dear. Even good things, even worthy goals, even worthy dreams, worthy aspirations, he asks us, He invites us to surrender those things at the foot of the cross so that we are left with one goal, one passion, one focus, to be fruitful for the kingdom for eternity's sake. The truth is that if you've ever felt and experienced any of God's pruning in your life, you're not really focused on what you've left behind. That's what I said last week. I don't want to go through this last year again. I'm not focused on what is left behind. But there is a courageous prayer in our hearts if we have come under the pruning of God. There's a straining forward. There's a hopeful prayer in our hearts like this one that John Piper prayed. John Piper said this, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I love that. Let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. It's not about me, it's about you in me. Let me make a difference in a way that's totally disproportionate to my personality, my intelligence, my identity, because it's all about Jesus. So can I suggest to you this morning that if God is pruning and at work in our lives, this little thing is a key for us. Your response to the pruning of God in your life is everything. Your response to the pruning of God in your life is everything. And that's why I'm teaching this series, is that we can learn to cooperate with what God is already doing in our lives. You don't have to ask for pruning. You don't have to ask for trials. They're going to come. That's what Jesus said. He said, in this world you will have many trials. It's a promise from the Son of God to us. In this world, you will have many trials, but do not, let, do not fear because I have overcome the world. Amen. The question simply is this, and it's one that only we can answer for ourselves. Simply, we have to answer this question. Will you let the hand of God prune you and do His work in you, or will you, or will you let the season of pruning go to waste? How we respond makes all the difference. So can I suggest this a number of couple of responses? When you feel a pruning hand of God in your life, you can complain, you can rebel, you can compromise, or you can run away. I mean, those are some options. That's how we can respond. No, God, this is too sore, this is too painful, I'm going to run away. Or the other option that we have is that we can enjoy the comfort and the rest of those 
who are keeping their eyes on the prize. It's a wonderful Bruce Springsteen song called Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. If you want to get it, I suggest you get it. It's on the album called Live in Dublin. And it's a Negro spiritual. It talks about keeping your eyes on the prize. We should all get that rooted in us. That's what it's about. It's about keeping our eyes on the prize. And Peter understood that. If you read with me 1 Peter 1 verse 6, Peter understood that it was about keeping your eye on the prize, not be consumed by the process of God right now, but with eternity in mind, we go through a whole lot of things right now. Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Peter, 1 Peter 1 verse 6. In this you rejoice, thou now, thou, no, thou, though now, sorry, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by these various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These testings that we go through have got nothing to do with salvation. We are in the vine. We are in Christ. We will always be in Him. We are saved. We are saved. I'm not trying to get you to question that at all. We are saved. I said it last week. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians, we are saved. But we walk through these trials and God tests the genuineness of what has happened in our lives as we walk through in victory, keeping our eye on the prize. That's not legalism. That's not trying to earn your salvation. Your salvation is already assured in Christ. It's simply walking out your inheritance. I want to suggest to you that as we learn to live with joy when the trials come, we come to a place of experiencing the most abundant place of fruitfulness that Jesus describes in John chapter 15. And he uses this magic little word, abide in me. That's what it means to abide. More of God, more with God. That's abiding. Well, you might say to me this morning, well, Ant, I don't feel particularly that I'm being lifted up by God. I'm, I'm not being disciplined. God's not trying to get my attention in my, in, in my life about any issue of sin. Fair enough. You might feel that you're not in a period of being pruned. That's also fair enough. But there's a third option that I have come to see in my own life. And it's this simply. Maybe you feel caught between these two things. And an increased desire in your life to produce more fruit... And the simultaneous living in this place of a de decreasing fulfillment in the fruit that you are already producing. Have you, can you identify with that? There's this longing. You are being fruitful for God, but there's this, you're caught between this desire to be more fruitful and yet you're not seeing it. I feel like that sometimes. God, I want you to use me more. I think that's a good dissatisfaction to have. We see there's some fruit, but we, we're saying, God, there's more for eternity in my life. Please help me to produce that. Does anyone feel like that? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that if that is you, there's another level of fruitfulness that we can all 
walk into one that, is, that Jesus describes in John 15 as abundant fruitfulness. And you might not know what to do to move into that. And I want to say to you that God would whisper to you this morning, if you are in that place, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you this morning that He doesn't want you to do more for Him. Can you all just hear me? He doesn't want you to do more for Him, but He wants you to be more with Him. With Him. You see... It's interesting to me, if we go back to John 15, that after Jesus talks about the activity of God in our lives, He talks about the discipline of God, He talks about the pruning of of God in the vineyard, His final thing that He speaks to His disciples about turns their attention from activity, from doing things, it turns their attention to another direction completely. He simply says repeatedly, Abide in Me. And then He talks a little bit more. And He says, As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless you abide in the vine, neither can you produce anything unless you abide in me. It's a crucial little thing. After God's discipline has removed sin in our lives, after His pruning has changed our priorities, He simply says, abide in me. Stay connected to me. If our lives are already bearing fruit, then God will invite us to abide in Him. And His purpose in doing that is so that we can enjoy the most rewarding friendship with God that we could ever experience, and in that way, experience the greatest abundance of His glory in our lives. Are you with me? You see, if you look at the picture... There's a picture of a a bunch of grapes. And if you imagine that bunch of grapes going back and being connected onto the vine, there is a touch point between the vine and the branch. It's very simple. But that's the place where the life-giving sap goes from the vine into the branch. It's at the point of connection. And my illustration is simply this, that the only thing that will limit the amount of life and the amount of sap going into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit is how you are connected to the vine. Weak connection, no life. Good connection, lots of life. The best connection with the vine will ensure the most life. And as uh, Nacho Libra says, the nutrients can flow in. It's all about the nutrients, isn't it? Jesus gives us the key. My friends, He gives us the key, the final secret, if you like, of being abundantly fruitful in our lives. It's simply this, that we don't need to do more for Him, but that you would choose, my friends, you would choose to be more with Him. Can I just say that's very important? Because to abide means to remain, to stay closely connected, to settle in for the long term. That's what it means to abide. And in this verse, in in John chapter 15, in six verses, Jesus uses that word abide ten times. Do you think he's trying to make a point? He's trying to get it into our brains. It's the last thing he says to them. He's passionate about it. He's persistent in saying it to them. He is making a vital plea to them. And there's also poignancy in what he's saying because he knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to leave them. And he says, the most important thing, my friends, I want to leave with you as I go to the cross, as I go to to embrace death, is that we are together. 
That's the most important thing I want to leave with you is that we are connected, that we remain connected, that you abide in me. And he knows, Jesus knows, that if his disciples abide in him, they will produce enough fruit to change the world. And what has happened? Twelve men, abiding in the vine, have changed the world. Two thousand years later, we live in the fruit of their lives. Hey, that inspires me. To live for eternity, that we can leave something for our children's 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 children here in this community. And as we think about that, can I just ask you not to miss the command in Jesus' voice? All right? When he's saying, abide is an imperative. It is not a suggestion. It's an imperative. And in our kind of community, we like to suggest things. We don't want to get people, you know, you can't force anyone to believe anything. Yeah, Jesus says this, abide in me. It's a command. It's an imperative. I believe it's not a suggestion or request. I believe God, the sovereign God, the great initiator of history, the great initiator of redemption, is always taking the first step. I believe that with all of my heart. You didn't find God, God found you. His grace sought you out. His kindness led you to repentance. We had nothing to do with the sovereign work of God in our lives. And at that moment we respond to Him and He comes and He makes us alive on the inside. I believe in the sovereign purpose of God, absolutely. But here... There's something that you and I have to do. (laughs) Jesus says it. He says, abide in me. Can I just say politely to you this morning, God is not going to abide for you. He's not going to abide for you. You have to abide for you. You have to ensure that you are connected to the vine. The vine is there. Jesus is there. But you have to take that willingly upon yourself and say, Lord, I choose to abide in you. You We have to act. To abide in the vine. It's about our choice. And then, Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, If anyone doesn't abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. Okay. Sounds like a bit of a disaster to me. Is Jesus really saying, is he threatening us and saying, if we are barren branches, we are destined for hell? I don't think so. Because he's already spent so much time talking about that we are in him. Why would he contradict himself? Now we've got to think a little bit. What is Jesus saying? We're simply saying this. And again, let's go back to a horticultural picture. It'll give us an idea. In the old times, in, in the biblical times, some woods were good for things after they had ceased being trees. An olive tree bore olives. And when it stopped bearing olives, they could take the wood because of the nature of the wood and they could make lovely things out of olive trees. Myrtle, same. Cedar, same. If you know anything about vines, a vine is useless after it stopped bearing fruit. The wood has got no function whatsoever. The best thing you can do with it is throw it away. That's just the nature of the vine. So what is the point? Jesus is simply giving us a clear and dramatic illustration that if we do not choose to abide in Him, if we do not choose to connect ourselves to the vine, we cease to have any spiritual impact or significance whatsoever, and it might as well be like we are just thrown away. That's what he's trying to say. But, by contrast, he promises if we do abide in him, and we draw our nourishment from him, and we allow his power to flow through us, nothing can hold us back from reaching the most abundant 
fruitful life that is possible. Can I say this to you kindly? Unless your friendship with Jesus becomes your first priority, you will never fulfill your true destiny in, as a Christian, let alone as a leader. Can, I, can you hear my heart? I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm trying to encourage you to connect yourself to the vine. You hear what I'm saying? So let's talk about living in the presence of God, though. If that's what it's about. If we are called to live in His presence, and I'll take five minutes and I'll finish. I want to say this. I'm a student in this. I'm not saying I'm a master. I'm learning how to live in the presence of God. But I want to suggest that if you want to become a student in this process, a student in His presence, then there are a few things that need to become a priority in your life. There are. And the first is this. Simply setting aside regular time to be with Him. Setting aside regular time to be with Him. Abiding is about the most important friendship in your life. In abiding, we, we look for, we seek for, we wait for, we love on, we hear, and we respond to a person. Jesus. It's about the friendship that we have with Christ. And in our rushed lifestyles, we can often simply just miss out on the simple pleasure, the enjoyment of our friendship with Christ. He created us for relationship with Him. And you all know this. We used to sing it in the Methodist church. As the deer pants for the water. So we can all sing that song. But that's what David's saying. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. It's this friendship. If I don't have this friendship, what is there left? Amen? So I am loud now, right? So, can I suggest to you that if that is the desire of our hearts, perhaps we will be prepared to sacrifice a little sleep to enjoy friendship time with God. No one can force you to do that. But that's a discipline. It's not a legalism. Can you hear me? It's not a legalism to get up in the morning and spend time with your friend Jesus. It's a one-two action in your life because you love Him, because you desire His friendship. And if that's true, how come so few pursue a deeper, a deeper friendship with God? Can I suggest a couple of things to you this morning? The first is simply this. I think very few of us really believe that God likes us. I think very few of us really believe that God likes us. We believe in a theological sense that God likes the whole world. And we quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. And we agree, yes, God, you love the world. But do you love me? Do you like me? It's easy to believe for the millions out there sometimes. It's sometimes more difficult to believe for me that God likes me. He likes me. He's, he deeply likes me. I want to suggest to you that most of us are deeply convinced that He remembers all the bad things that we've ever done in our lives. And He's quick to judge us now. That's what we really believe. That's our default setting. And perhaps secondly, we think, well, maybe, you know, God is really busy. He's got the whole universe to run. And why would He want to spend any time with me? I mean, come on. Like this false humility kind of thing. Oh, no, God, you're so busy with all that stuff out there and, and all the problems in the world. You don't want to spend time with me. We've got this poverty-mindedness in terms of our relationship with God. You know, I have some good friends. And when I think of these friends, phrases like this describe my friendship with them. He accepts me. He always makes time for me. 
He always encourages me. When I'm with Him, I come out of that time and I feel, yes, I can take on the world. I'm energized. I'm full of energy. I love those kind of friendships. Don't you like those kind of friendships? Or do you like the ones when you get out of the room, you're just like, oh God, help me. please. <laughs> they just suck the life out of you for the last half an hour. And then they say, well, why don't you like to be with me? Well, just do the maths. You know what I'm saying? You hear me? I want to suggest to you that God offers those things in His friendship with us in abundance. In abundance. I want to tell you this morning that when, he's, when you meet with Him, He sees the, only a child that He loves. He sees an heir. He sees a friend. He sees someone that He wants to spend time with. That's our God. That's our friend. He wants to abide with us. He wants to love on us more than we could ever abide, want to abide in Him. That's what John 15, 9 says. It says, As the Father loved me, so I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Amen? Amen. See, I think that's the first place. We have to start with that revelation of how much God wants to be with us, how much He wants to spend time with us. And then we've taken the first step in the practice of learning to abide in Him. And so it does begin with some spiritual discipline, prayer, Bible reading, But the shocking thing is this. You can do those things for years and years and years without really abiding in the vine. You can read a book about someone, you don't know the person. How do you get to know the person? You spend time with them. So the challenge for us as Christians is to break through from the activities into this living, real, flourishing relationship with God. And here are some things that might help you. Four little things and I am finished. If we are going to experience abiding, and I trust this year for us as a church, it will be a year of abiding. If we are going to experience that in its all its fullness, we have to deepen the quality of our devoted time to God. Note that I'm saying devoted time, not devotions. Why do I say that? Well, simply because the Bible, in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of something being devoted, it means it was totally set apart for that purpose. Devoted time to God. Totally set apart for that purpose. As a sub-point of that, how can we enjoy our devoted time a little bit more? Well, A, set apart the kind of time that builds relationship. Set apart the kind of time that builds relationship. I know with my relationship with Helen, I don't build that relationship five minutes before we go to sleep. We're just kind of like, oh, let's, let's, let's build some relationships. Uh, uh, let's just talk about this. No, no, no. She doesn't, she's not wired like that. We build relationship over times of dinner where for three hours we sit and we talk and we eat and we drink and we chat about the day. And I build the relationship with my boys in the same way. That's how we build relationship. That's how we enjoy friendship with each other. And how many of you know with your friends the best thing to do is to hang out with them on a Sunday after church and light a barbecue. And if you prefer hamburgers, you barbecue hamburgers. If you prefer steak, you put it on and you get around the fire and you talk about the week and then you come out of that time and you feel like energized. That's friendship. It's real. It's as real as that. Friendship with God. And we, how, how can we expect to cultivate that kind of friendship with God five minutes before we go to sleep? Let me quickly read a verse. Okay, yeah, I've, I've appeased my conscience. I've read a verse. I've prayed for my kids. Bless, 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 bless. No quality time. Verse 
I want to suggest to you that there's no leader that I know that I've, would res- that I've grown to respect that has not had that discipline in their lives for years. I don't say that in a competitive way. I don't say that in a condemning way. I'm just saying if we're taking God seriously, surely we can sacrifice a little time, whether it's in the morning or if you're a life fortunate like me who've got other time during the day to set aside time and say, Lord, this is my devoted time to you. I'm going to read your word and let it speak to me. I'm going to pray. Can I suggest, secondly, that we need to learn to savor God's Word. Savor God's Word. You see, the Scripture says that the Word of God is food to us. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by, uh, uh, from every word that proceeds from the mouth of my Father. It's food to us. So let's learn to enjoy it. Let it become a treasure to us, a love letter from God to us. That's His Word. And what does Paul say in Colossians 3.16? He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And thirdly, remember we're talking about things that are going to help us enjoy our devoted time with God. Thirdly, talk and listen to a person. You're not reading just words on a book. You want Jesus to speak to you. You're talking to a person. So often we treat God as some kind of mystical force right out there somewhere. But God wants intimate friendship with us. He wants to hear about your requests. He wants to hear about the things that are perhaps niggling, worrying you. Perhaps you're feeling concerned about the housing market. You've just bought a house. Perhaps you're feeling under pressure at work. He wants to hear about that stuff. But equally, He wants to hear your praise. He wants to hear your thanks. He wants to hear, oh God, I'm just so chuffed that you saved me. Thank you, Lord. Day after day after day. Yeah, Lord, I was going down one way and you turned me around. I'm so thankful. Thank you. So let's be honest and expect God to speak to us in return. And lastly, and this is where I don't, I don't qualify. I'm not good at this. Keep a written record of what God speaks to you. I have a written record of all the prophetic words that God has spoken onto my life. But Helen is much better at this than I am, of of journaling what God speaks to her in her devoted time. I want to encourage you, as I'm encouraging myself, let's learn to be students that are quick to write down what God says to us, that the Word can become life in us. Amen? That's what it means to learn to abide in the vine. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to just spend another, another time of worship. I really want to ask that you would let God come by the Spirit this morning and make this real to you. This is not just, we're not just doing this for some theological exercise, but because we want to know Jesus better. We want to know Jesus. We want to know Him. Paul says in Philippians, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection, the same resurrection power of Christ living in me. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. So can you stand with me? Let's worship God with all of our hearts. Maybe you want to spend some time just kneeling. Maybe you want to spend some time shouting. Uh, You respond to God, uh, what He's spoken to you this morning. And let's enjoy His presence this morning deep within us. I'm asking the guys to lead us. And we'll see what else God wants to say in this time of ministry. Jesus, I thank You that You are the vine. We thank you that it's all about you. We thank you, Father, that you initiate everything. But we hear at the same time, Lord, that we have to abide, that there's a command in that for us, 
And so, Lord, we ask your students of your spirit, the students of your presence, that you would teach us to abide in you, that you teach us to remain powerfully connected to the source of all goodness, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, as we worship you now, I pray that you refresh us, that it would be a time of abiding, that we would hear your voice whispering to us as we worship, as we sing our songs of thanks, our songs of praise, that you take pleasure in those. But, Lord, we want to hear your sweet voice in our ear, telling us which way to go. We simply trust you for that this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. My children, won't you come and lay down those things? which are burdens in your life, things which make you feel that you cannot come into my presence. Won't you see this morning that I am trustworthy, that I am one who walks alongside you every moment of your day, that there's nothing that you face where I have not been, that there's nothing that you can carry which is too heavy for me. When I call you to abide, I mean in every moment of the day, every step of the way, that you may know my presence, that you may feel my arm around you, walking alongside you. I have given you my Holy Spirit, who is your teacher. I have given you my Holy Spirit, who is your guide. I have given you my Holy Spirit, who is your friend. Every moment of every day, abide in me, abide in me. For I am trustworthy, I am faithful, I am your God.